0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Friday, August the 11th, 2023. It is currently 1133 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio, located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I hope we sound okay, because I didn't even bother. I always, before we go live, I check our audio to make sure, but I I didn't even check. So hopefully everything is going well. I didn't do any of my normal sound checks or I didn't even check the internet. Yes. All right. Uh, I'm interrupting someone's, uh, YouTube. All right. I, I apologize for interrupting your YouTube, but here, here we go. I uh, hopefully, uh, that, that, that's probably a sign someone can actually uh, hear me. So that's good. All right. I hope you are ready to put on your thinking caps and I hope this will be beneficial. But let me, let me ask, I guess kind of put this in a question form. Let me not put it in a question form. Let me put it more in a statement. Many times. As a Christian, you will hear something that the church says, maybe in regards to scripture, they will preach one scripture and the next week they'll preach another scripture. And you may approach the pastor and say something like, wait a minute, that seems to contradict one another. And then they will say something in a very sanctimonious, pastor-sounding way. No, 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 no. They do not contradict. They compliment. They don't contradict one another. They complement one another. And if you'll put them side by side, if you'll put them together, you'll see how they complement one another and they bring the truth out. And now you truly know what to believe. Now, I'm not completely rejecting that outright. I'm not. I think sometimes that's just what we say and we don't really think we don't really think about it completely. Because I think sometimes just saying, hey, they don't contradict, they compliment. Sometimes I don't think really helps anyone and everyone walks away going, uh, I still think they contradict. But OK, okay yeah, OK, I'll, I'll just say they compliment. But I have in front of me right now two articles. They both come from the August issue of the Sword of the Lord newspaper. One article is found on page 16. The other article appears on page 7. Two articles from the same newspaper, Sword of the Lord. That means they're published by the same newspaper that has the obviously the same theological standard. I mean, they're in the same paper with one theological standard. One doctrinal system. And I'm going to ask you if you think these articles contradict or if they complement. I'm going to let you make that decision. Do you think they contradict or do you think they complement one another? I feel time and time again, this is my own feeling. This is my own feeling. Time and time again, I will listen to sermons and they will say one thing, right? And then five minutes later, sometimes maybe, maybe 30 minutes later, and sometimes the same sermon, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You just said this. Now you say, that makes no sense. That seems to be a contradiction. Or one, in one sermon, they preach this, but then three sermons later, you're like, well, wait a minute. That seems to contradict that, but you're not, you're almost taught within Christianity. I think this is fair. You can, you can correct me if you think this is not fair. I think you're almost taught in Christianity that look, It's almost like a presupposition. There are no contradictions. Everything makes sense. Everything agrees with everything. If it appears to be a contradiction, it's simply, it's complimenting. So don't worry about it. And you're not supposed to really question it. You're not supposed to struggle with it. You're supposed to just accept it. And all I can see is I'm not... I'm not so sure. I, well, first of all, I, I reject that idea that, that you can't question it. I think Christians should question. I think Christians should be being willing to struggle going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, this makes no sense. And if that is true, then what is the, And I think we should be able to struggle. I think the church should welcome questioning, welcome struggle, welcome the acknowledgement of difficulty instead of just trying to make everyone think, hey, it's simple, it's easy. And if, if it's not, then the problem is you. Well, maybe the problem is much deeper than that. But then maybe some of us, maybe here's the problem. Yes, maybe for some they do, they want to stop all of the questioning. They just want simple answers and no struggle and no difficulty. And I believe that's wrong. Maybe on the other side, the other extreme are people like me. Well, I question everything. I struggle with everything. Maybe that maybe I go to the other extreme. You, you can you can make your own judgment of whether that's true or not. But I think that there is. I think typically the church goes with, Hey, don't question. Don't doubt. Don't struggle. It's simple. And they, they throw, they throw out those, the little cliches, the little bumper sticker answers. And you're supposed just to go along with it and say, Oh, praise God. Everything makes sense. And I don't think it's that simple. Now, maybe you could say, some of us, at least on my side, we, <laughs> we can't go three seconds with raising our hand going, uh, but, uh, wait, um, but how, wait, no, how come, wait, what about this? And, and I know that in some ways that drives people crazy. I know sometimes people probably in my church would like, could you stop bringing up so many questions because it, it's difficult, but I, I want people to, I feel like, a f- I, and I say this all the time, a faith that can me- never be questioned, a faith that can never be doubted is a faith not worth having because I don't think it's a real faith. It's, it's just like a, it's a pretend faith where you pretend to believe, but you really don't have faith until that faith can withstand the questions and the doubts and the struggles and the reality. Um, so someone just said, I'm definitely on the other extreme and it does feel generally, uh, unwelcome by the Christian population. I do believe it's unwelcome by the Christian population. So, but because I get, I bet you, if I was to even try to talk to the sword of the Lord about what I see here, they would be like, I don't understand the problem. But, and again, maybe the problem is me. But you get to determine you get to be the jury today. you get to be the jury, you get to render the verdict and I will live by your verdict. probably not. but I I will at least pretend for just a few minutes that you get to be the jury and your decision is final. So are you ready to make a decision? We're going to start I'm going to go with these in the order that they were printed since the, sec- the since this article was um, on page 16. I'm going to set this one aside, and I'm going to grab this article, which is on page 7. Now, this article appears under a section that they have for kids. They have for kids. Now, of course... You know, leave it up to me. I'm reading every, I'm going to read everything in a paper, right? I'm reading everything. I don't, I don't care. You put a newspaper in front of me. I read everything. (laughs) Okay. You put a magazine in front. I'm reading every single article. It's just, that's what I do. So anytime I get the sword of the Lord, I devour the thing. I read, I read everything. I mean, it doesn't matter the section. So, Hey, it's for kids. I'm reading it. It's called adventures for kids. And it is entitled, Davy's New Heart. Oh, okay. I got to be careful here. I got to be careful here because I can't. You're the jury. I need to try to just present this. In an unbiased way, all right? But if you've been, if you've been, for those who listen to me all the time, and for those who've listened to maybe our long gospel series, or even our Jeremiah series, there's a high probability you're already gonna know how I'm thinking. But forget, forget how you think I will think. You think for yourself, you render your own verdict. So if I, if I start kind of giving away how I feel about this, you just ignore me because you, what you need to just say out loud is, hey, I don't know who he thinks he is. I'm, I'm on the jury here. All right. All right. Someone is like, present the facts. Hey, it's called a tease. I, I got to make you wait. Okay. So just be patient. Be patient. All right. Be patient. I'm, I'm making sure you keep listening. All right. But are you ready? All right. Davy's new heart from the, from the August issue of the Sword of the Lord newspaper. I told everyone to get a subscription to this. See, if you would have gotten a subscription, you could pull out your own copy right now. Okay, here we go. Oh, boy. Okay, even trying to read this, all right? Even trying to read this, even trying to read this could be difficult. Here we go. Here we go. I quote, this is how the article begins. The Lord said, I will take away the stony heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Let me read that again. All right. See, I'm I'm supposed to just present the facts. Okay. I'm not not very good at this, ladies and gentlemen. So right there, I want to just open up my Bible. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel, and then we'll compare that to Jeremiah 31, and then we'll go into about a three-hour discussion about the new covenant. Okay. Stop, 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 stop the article. Here we go. Davy's new heart, the Lord said, "I will take away the stony heart." Ezekiel 36:26. When the rope and board bridge broke, Bryson, his father, and his grandfather were still on the bridge. Bryson and his father had not been hurt, but grandfather had been slammed against a jagged piece of rock when when the now vertical bridge hit the rock wall. His arm had been severely bruised and was so painful that he didn't know he had also broken his leg. Bryson climbed the rope and ran for help. Before he got to the pavilion where his mother and grandmother were waiting, he had to stop and rest three cowboys from the riding stables found him in front of one of the uh, of the several jumps on the horse trail. Two of them rode to the bridge to help the two men still holding on for dear life. All right, the two of them rode to the bridge to help the two men still holding on for dear life. Sorry, the, I had it folded, so um, I, had, I ended up adding a pause there where there shouldn't have been a pause. So let me read it again two of them rode to the bridge to help the two men still holding on for dear life. Bryson climbed up in the saddle behind Davy, the third rider, and they raced back to get more help. Bryson and the cowboys were honored at an award ceremony in town and given a certificate of, pre- of of appreciation for their heroism. They had been that had been more than a month ago. But Bryson was still troubled about some things concerning Davy. It was obvious from the get go that Davy was not an experienced rider. He bounced up and down in the saddle as if he was on a pogo stick. Bryson did his best to hold on to him. And just as soon as he thought he got used to Davy's uncoordinated ups and downs, he would change it and just about unseat Bryson. He talked to his grandfather about David's attitude and lack of coordination. Okay, I'm I'm trying to follow where this is going. It wasn't that he didn't want to help, but his lack of experience and whatever he was doing always outweighs his job. He always began a new job with enthusiasm and energy, but before long, he's on the slippery slope of discouragement. If we could only reach him and make him understand that his dissatisfaction with every job, if we could only reach him and make him understand that his dissatisfaction with every job he's ever had goes down deep inside. Okay, this. trying to follow the story here, trying to follow the story here. Davy is afraid of failure and it bothers him so much that he he gives up trying to make a success of every job he's had. In fact, many people call him David the quit, Davy the quitter. That's not very nice or encouraging, but he's not but he but he's not only brought it on himself, he keeps making the same mistakes and won't do what needs to be done. What needs to be done, grandfather? Well, he needs to get his priorities in order, and the first one is to stop fighting the Holy Spirit's prompting him to confess that he is a sinner and in need of Jesus as his Savior. Okay, I don't know how this goes from being uncoordinated and riding a horse. <laughs> And quitting work to now he needs to stop fighting the Holy Spirit and he needs to confess that he's a sinner and in need of Jesus as savior. I don't really know how this story is going, but let's just, what is happening here? Are you got a rescue happens because some people are hurt on a bridge? (laughs) But one of the cowboys, I guess. The third writer, Davey, he is not that experienced and he's like a pogo stick and he lacks coordination and he quits every job. And grandfather's advice is, well, the first thing he needs to do is get his priorities right. (laughs) And the first priority, he needs to stop fighting the Holy Spirit's prompting. He needs to confess. (laughs) He needs to confess that he's a sinner in need of Jesus as a savior. All right. Many neighbors and people from the church have talked to him about this. He is convinced they are right, but at at the last minute, he backs away from it and goes on in the same manner. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm still not following this. All right. Grandfather. Do you think I could help him see his need for Jesus? He talks to me more at church since our ride down the trail. Well, let's talk about how to go about helping him get rid of his stony heart and finding a fixed heart. All right. Now, real. so somehow in all of this, they have determined, grandfather has determined that Davy's problem is he has a stony heart and he needs to get a fixed heart. So, Davy's problem, I guess Davy's problem, the reason he quits, I guess, the reason, I, I don't know, does it uh, impact his writing skills? Is, is he, uh, whatever his issues are, grandfather has decided Davy's problem is he has a stony heart and he needs a new heart. Obviously, they're pulling this from Ezekiel. So the whole thing here is a little confusing, but okay, okay. It's written for kids. Maybe, maybe kids would understand this. All right, but let's continue. All right. Bryson had his parents' permission to begin visiting the stables with the ultimate goal of talking to Davy. Children under the age of 16 had to be comp- accompanied by an adult. Davy was chosen to be his riding buddy, and, he, and it wasn't long before Davy looked forward to spending several afternoons a week with his new friend. "'Why are you so chipper and happy all the time?' Davy asked. I, I, "'I like my life.' I'm so happy to have Jesus as my savior. What's this Jesus thing about? How how can you be happy about someone you've never met? He lives in heaven. So how did you meet him? You aren't going to tell me that you sneaked up to heaven one night when nobody was looking. No, Jesus met me here on earth where I live. So he just popped around a bush and yelled surprise. No, I met him in my heart. Wouldn't you like to meet him too? Don't don't we have to be in church? Nope. Let's meet him right here. After a few moments, <laughs> Davy said, "Let's do it!" An exclamation mark. So I had to add that. Now I still don't know how exactly we this story gets us here. We have people hurt on a bridge, <laughs> and then the worst thing I've heard about Davy is that he's uncoordinated. He rides like a pogo stick on a horse, and he always quits his jobs. Oh, and he's not he's inexperienced. But I guess all of this proves that. He needs Jesus. I don't know. The whole thing is bizarrely written, but okay. All right. So here we go. After a few moments, Davy said, let's do it. Right there in front of the horse jump where they originally met, Davy and Bryson knelt on the ground and Davy asked Jesus into his heart. On the way back to the stables, Davy said, I never saw the sky so blue and the clouds so fluffy and white. What an absolutely beautiful day. Flash even seemed to pick up the happy spirit of the rider on his back. Now, Bryson thought, if Davy could just learn to ride without bouncing up and down so much. So obviously, it doesn't fix that. Davy's heart was fixed. Because he trusted in the Lord Jesus. How about you? Has your heart been fixed? If not, when you write to me, ask to send you a copy of the prayer that Davy prayed. And this comes from Grandma Ruth, Sword of the Lord Publishers, P.O. Box 1099. It's in Tennessee. Have a great day and don't forget to thank the one who gave it to you. So, hey, do you, ha- do you need a heart? Do you have a heart that needs to be fixed? Jesus will fix your heart. That's article number one. Jesus is going to fix your heart. That is a bit, that article, I just, the more I read it, I'm like, what in the world? How did we go from the, the rescue on the bridge to the certificate of appreciation to, All of a sudden Bryson's like, I got I don't like this Davy guy. I like I don't I don't I don't this Davy guy's got problems. That whole thing is bizarre. Okay, but now here's article number two. Now this is on page 16. It is called Two Classes of Christians. Now the last article, whether we can follow all of that or not, and whether I read it correctly. I mean I I mean I read it correctly, but it's just just doesn't flow very well. It's kind of Yeah, from a writing perspective, it just seems like I don't get it. But all right, we get the main point. Davy got a fixed heart, and you can get a fixed heart. All you got to do is pray and ask Jesus, and he will fix your heart. Page 16, same same newspaper. Two classes of Christians is what this article is called. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. There, now, this article says there are two distinct classes of people among professed Christians. Those who are carnal and those who are spiritual. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. All right. Now, okay, I'm going I'm to read the rest of this. I don't know if you're starting to feel the possible contradiction. All right. There's two classes of Christian. There's the spiritual ones and there's the carnal ones. Now start thinking about that in light of the last article about Davy's new heart. Now I want, now this article continues. Now I want you to understand the difference between carnal and spiritual Christian. All believers At conversion, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for God's word clearly says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, 9. But the spiritual Christian has not only the gift of the Spirit, he is filled with the Spirit. The carnal Christian lives largely for himself. The works of the flesh are predominant. Self has not been crucified. The carnal Christian has a good foundation, but he built on a, on, on, on it of perishable things, wood, hay, and stubble. His carnal works will be burned at the judgment seat of Christ, although he will be saved. The spiritually minded Christian has reached that crisis in his experience where he has fully surrendered and yielded everything. His all is on the altar. He has obeyed the command and the 12th chapter of Romans, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Can you truthfully say that Christ is all in all to you? Have you made a full consecration of your life to him? If not, why not? That's the second article. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do these articles contradict or do they complement? What do you think? Now, for me, obviously, if I'm turning on the microphone to take these two articles and read them to you, even though that <laughs> the adventure for kids, Davy's new heart is a very convoluted story. Okay. Trying to even follow what happened on the bridge. And the next thing you know, we're off the bridge and we're upset with one of the guys who helped rescue. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't like the guy that helped rescue you grandfather. Cause he, he doesn't ride very good and he's, he's lazy. All right. OK, all right, someone, one, one, one member of the jury, one member of the jury has spoken up and said, I mean, there's a contradiction there. Do the rest of the jury now and in, in, in the jury room, because as someone who's been on jury duty way too many times, because every time I get called, I, I get picked and they always want me to be the foreman. Right. Every time. But hey, we, we need it. We, we all have to agree here. So does everyone agree that there is a contradiction? Now, if we agree there's a contradiction, the next thing we have to agree on, what is the contradiction? And then number three, we need to agree. on how do we fix this contradiction? So I'm going to say I agree. I'm just going to put myself in the jury, on the jury. I'm, I'm putting myself on the jury here, right? I agree there's a contradiction. I mean, obviously, you know, I think there's a contradiction. That's why I'm reading these two articles to you. What is the contradiction? What is the contradiction? I want everyone to tell me, what do you think the contradiction is here? Well, I, I'm, I'm just going to explain it. Okay. Uh, I, I think, I think it's just, I don't know if anyone else is listening. Nobody else may want to say anything. That's perfectly okay. I, I, here's what I think the contradiction is. Okay. Now, wait a minute. If at salvation, your heart is fixed, right? I'm assuming since they're quoting Ezekiel 36, 26, I will take away the stony heart. Then what they are assuming that we, if we have a new heart, if we get a fixed heart, we get a complete, a heart transplant, we get a brand new heart. Well, then wait a minute. If I have a brand new heart, then how could there be carnal Christians? If I can get, if I get a brand new heart, then where is carnality coming from? Where does sin come from? Because the Bible seems to indicate it's from the heart where adultery, fornication, covetousness, that's where it all arises. It arises from within our heart, meaning the Bible seems to connect our heart to our sinful nature. Well, if I salvation, dun, dun, da, I get a new heart. Well, then, that would seem to indicate the eradication of the old nature, would it not? And if it, er- and if he, the old nature is eradicated, then how do you have carnal Christians? Now, some say, you know, carnal Christians are. That's not a. I went to one. I went to one school, and I got the, the textbook downstairs. Um, I think somewhere somewhere downstairs that well, we had to write an entire papal, paper that there are no such things as carnal Christians. And we had to make an argument that there that, that no 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 that's that, that, that you're misunderstanding what it means to be a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian really isn't a Christian at all. They're they're a professor of Christianity, they're not a possessor of Christ. 1 Corinthians seems to make it clear that there are carnal Christians. So if there are carnal Christians, then at salvation, ladies and gentlemen, do you get a brand new heart? Now, everyone's going to run to Ezekiel and Jeremiah, but in both cases, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where everyone runs to, those are about the new covenant and it's specifically given to the nation of Israel. There is no way to say it's not. Which seems to imply that there's a promise for Israel one day that they will be converted. And that they will obey all of God's commands. Clearly that has not happened now. It's not even happened in the church because we don't obey all of God's commands. So if you tell people, hey, ladies and gentlemen, when you were saved, your old heart was removed and you get a new heart. Well, if you get a new heart, is that not the eradication of the old nature? Or are you going to say you get a new heart, but you also have the, the old nature is not eradicated. So you, now you have a new heart and the old nature. So you have this duality inside of you. Is, is, that, is, is that maybe the way we want to look at it? Okay, well, that means then the new heart doesn't fix everything. So, and so the old heart is gone, but the new heart, but the old nature is still there, right? Is that, is that how we try to understand? So we have a new heart and the old nature. Was the old nature a part of the old heart? Like how does that work? And so then you can have the Holy Spirit. So but and then you so you have a new heart and you have the old nature. You're also indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is there, now, typically we say the Holy Spirit's there to empower you. So if you have a new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit, can you get to sinless perfection? Almost all Christians will be like, no, you can't. Well, now, wait a minute. I'm confused. If if I have a new heart and I have the power of the Holy Spirit, does that not overpower then the old nature? Well, then they come along and say, No, no, no! You have a new heart. You have the Holy Spirit, but now you have to be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Well, now you have to then submit yourself. To, if you will yield yourself and submit yourself enough to the Spirit, then now you'll have you'll have you'll have a new heart, a Holy Spirit, and you'll be full of the Holy Spirit. But you still can't get to sinless perfection. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So now you're telling me a new heart, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit still can't get me to sinless perfection because almost all, no matter how many times preachers preach and they say, no, 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 you can now say no to sin. You can say yes to God. Sooner or later, they always go, but, however, you can't be sinless. Okay, well, wait a minute. So now three things, new heart, presence of the Holy Spirit, and filled with the Spirit still does not get me to sinless perfection. However, Half the time when we preach it, we preach it as if basically that should be the expectation. You can now say yes to God and no to sin. Well, if I can say yes to God and no to sin, why wouldn't I be then perfect? And you're not supposed to ask these questions in church. No, 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 no. You're just supposed to say, praise God. I've got a new heart. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm now seeking to be full of the Holy Spirit. And now I can do it. I can do it. And then no matter how many times you fail, you have to either convince yourself you're still doing it or you have to just kind of explain away the failure instead of stopping going, wait a minute, something doesn't seem to work. Why do I keep sinning over and over and over? Why do I sin in thought, word, and deed? The church creates this weird contradiction and everyone is supposed to just be like, shh. It's almost like, shh, don't look behind the curtain. Just just act like everything's good. Raise your hand, sing a praise song, say amen, say praise God, everything is good. And don't ever go, wait a minute, I'm confused new heart and dwelt by the third member of the Trinity. That is God himself, right? The Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal, all right? Co-powerful, right They have the same power. This is the power of the Spirit is inside of me. Oh, and then I can be, I can get extra power because now if I'm filled with the Spirit, now I have extra power, I guess. Now I have more ability. And even all of that combined Will not get you to sinless perfection. Now, any reasonable person would be raising their hand. I mean, I almost want to contact Grandma Ruth. Is it Grandma Ruth here in uh, the Sword of the Lord? I want to write Grandma Ruth and go. So, wait a minute. First of all, you're using Ezekiel thirty-six, which you know we can we can go look at. And uh, yeah, you're, you're 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 not handling Scripture really well. But so, I get a a, a brand new heart. What happens to the old one? Or do I have two hearts now? Do I have two hearts? Are the two hearts synonymous with two natures? So do I have two natures now? I have uh, a new heart and I have the old heart is is that the way you understand as a christian you need to you need to draw out how you think it looks inside of you two hearts which it, which equates to two natures you have two natures inside of you now that that works pretty good now you have to ask yourself then how does that work and 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 how does how do we struggle with it that you could argue that explains the massive duality and contradiction and struggle that we experience right because on one hand if we have an if we're going to have if we're going to say we have two hearts inside of us now obviously we're not talking about a physical heart but two hearts in other words the seat of our emotion our nature we I'm going to say two natures to me is a better way of stating it right we have two natures that would be a, that would to me offer some that would offer to me some explanation of an and a kind of a weird way The horrible part about being a Christian, because you got one part in you saying, no, I know I shouldn't do this. No, I don't want to do this. I want to please God. But then you got the other part of you going, no, you don't. You want to please self. You want to serve self. No, you don't. And you know that that conflict that lives inside of you. And I think it describes the Apostle Paul. The things I want to do. I don't, but he wants to do them, but he doesn't. The things he doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to do them, but he does them. There's this conflicting part. And even at the end of Romans 7, Paul seems to acknowledge this weird duality, right? In my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but in my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. Paul, how can you be so contradictory? So do we end up with two hearts? We have two... I think when Christians say you get a new heart, they sometimes don't articulate, well, the old one is still there. You just get a new nature and the old nature. But then the question is, okay, if I have the new nature and I have the old nature, and then you add to it the presence of the Spirit, and if you add to it supposedly extra power one gets for being filled with the Spirit— Then the question would be, why cannot then we overcome the old nature and reach sinless perfection? And almost any Christian, I mean, there are some groups out there that would argue that sinless perfection is possible, right? Many believe it's possible, now, all the people I've ever met who told me it's possible, they've never come close to reaching it, which I always kind of look at them a little suspect. You're telling me it's possible, but you just can't do it. Is anyone in your church can do it? Can you show me anyone? Because the only one I ever know who is sinless is, well, it was his name was Jesus Christ. And that's because he was the eternal son of God. Oh, and he didn't have a sinful nature. As long as we possess a sinful nature... That we can never be perfect and we will always sin because we literally have sin inside of us. So, if you were to ask people in your church exactly to map this out, how do you think they would map it out? Would they, would they go with two natures? You have the old and the new. Or would they say, no, 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 the old is gone and now everything has... Because many may quote... The, the famous passage, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Well, that would clearly seem to eradicate the old nature. Now, I think that that has nothing to do with us pr- practically. That's our, that's the truth of us positionally. See, am I position in Christ? Yeah. I'm perfect, holy, because my position is based off an imputed righteousness and, and not any kind of infused righteousness. And if we get a new nature, Is that infused righteousness? It's, it's a question to ask yourself, right? Remember the whole difference between the, the, what led to the entire Protestant Reformation was the difference between imputed righteousness versus infused righteousness. I definitely know the old nature is not eradicated. So I, I, anyone who says you eradicate the old nature, I disagree with the, the idea that two natures, I'm more, I'm more, I can at least understand that to some level. Right. And that creates that horrible reality for a Christian is you got this one thing going, yes, I want God. I want to serve God. I want to be holy. I want to do this. And the other part going, forget anything, serve yourself. Uh would and uh Okay. <laughs> uh, so would infuse righteousness cause uh repentance? I think repentance is a gift given to us by God. I, I believe repentance is something God grants us. He grants us a change of mind. Uh, someone says, now, that's a great question. I don't know. Is it infused? <laughs> I, I don't know. If, if, if we, I, I, is it, is, do we call it an infused righteousness if we have a new nature? Now, I know this. N- to maintain the c- clear distinction between Roman Catholicism and a non-Catholic position. That we would definitely say my justification, though, has nothing to do with a new nature, right? My justification is based off an imputed righteousness. My justification has nothing to do with a new nature. In other words, my new nature does not contribute to my justification in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think the new nature even proves my salvation because my salvation is dependent upon an imputed righteousness, so I think we have to immediately remove it from having anything to do with justification. Now, you could talk about the new nature, then maybe contributing somehow to sanctification. I, I don't have good answers for these, but I, but it just, I found it h- hilarious that, hey, David gets a brand new heart and everything's perfect. Couple of, you know what, that's page seven, and then you turn to page sixteen. Hey, there's two classes of Christians, and one of them are carnal. All right. Someone someone is saying they see the distinction, but the infused question is interesting. I'm glad you think it's interesting. That's good. That's good. I'll charge you fifty dollars for providing such interesting questions today. But I, I digress. But I, I, I think that this is the thing that Christians sometimes don't really spend time trying to articulate or try to figure it out because it's confusing. Sometimes the church just wants to get you to, you have a brand new nature. You have an, a, a brand new heart. Your old heart has been removed. And you're like, okay, well, then sinlessness should be the expectation. Oh, on top of that, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And you can be filled with the Spirit and that somehow equates to more power. Okay, great. And then five minutes later, however, read the small print. You're still going to sin. What in the world? Why? Why? Now sometimes push comes to shove, they will back up and admit, I mean, you get a new heart, um, uh oh, you know, you get a new heart, but but but, we forgot to mention the old one is still there. I mean, the, 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 you get a new nature, but but we're, we're, we're sorry to inform you the old one is very very much there, and which one is stronger, the new one or the old one? Now, what I was taught as, as a young Christian is that there's like two dogs living inside of you. There's like two dogs. And the one you feed the most will be the strongest. So if you're feeding the old dog, you know, you're feeding it just entertainment, fun, You know, bad entertainment, you know, wrong thinking, wrong ideas, sinful thoughts. If you feed it the wrong thing, then whenever temptation knocks on the door, the the old dog is going to open the door and the old dog will succumb to the temptation because you've been feeding it. The old dog will be stronger. But if you don't feed the old dog, you starve it and you feed the new dog. You feed it church and Bible study and prayer and meditation and theology and sermons and praise and worship. Dun, 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 dun. When temptation knocks on the door, the new dog will open the door and say, sorry, nobody here wants any of that. That's, that's literally how I was taught as a teenager that I had two dogs inside of me. And, it was, and the, the, the answer was on me. On which one I fed the most. I don't know if that works that way. Because what happens is every time you sin, Every time you make a mistake, you're like, I got to feed the other dog more. I got to feed the other dog more. I got to I gotta pray more. I got to go to church more. I got to read my Bible more. And after some point, you realize all the reading, all the praying, all going to church, the old dog is still very much active in there and you've yet to starve it to death. For some reason, the old dog just continues to live. And that illustration, again, I think, begins to fall apart. I just don't think that, that works very good. So then others will say, no, 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 no. Here's the issue. Here's the issue. You, when you get saved, you get the new nature. Now what you have to do, and they present, they put this on you. You have to crucify the old. You have to present yourself as a living sacrifice that you have to do it, that you have to kill it off. And then you do this through your own efforts. And again, once again, it's Bible reading, church, prayer, and then somehow you crucify the old. But am I the one who crucifies the old? I've got to present myself as a living sacrifice. I've got to do this. Now, what they typically say is, well, the, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps getting up off the altar. So you have to do this every day. So then they'll give you these little formulas, wake up each day, lay yourself on the altar in your mind and pray to God that, Lord, I present myself as a living sacrifice today. I, my mind, my body is only for you. It's not for anything. And then you pray this prayer and then it didn't, you'll go through that. I remember this at, I think it was at a Christian uh, music concert where there was like, you know, you got to do this every single day. and. And then if you'll do this, then you won't be giving yourself to pornography or to fornication. And, you know, it was basically how to overcome sexual sin. But in all of these little formulas and ideas, the one thing I do know, 2,000 years later, <laughs> Christians keep sinning. So none of the formulas have actually even come close to working. Unless you minimize sin so that you can convince yourself that you're actually obeying it and that all these systems work. So what you have to do is minimize certain sins. You have to just look for certain external things. You have to forget things like love your enemy, turn the other cheek, love God without your heart, mind, body, and soul, love your neighbor as self, be holy as God is holy. Because you ain't, you're ain't, you not even coming close to doing any of those, even with your new nature, even with the Holy Spirit, you're still not doing that. But I do know this, in Christ. I am the old man is crucified in Christ. I am a new creature. Yeah, I think those formulas create more despair than success. I believe that it's too, I think they may create a sense of success temporarily right? They give you a sense of hope. They give you a feeling of success because you have something to do. And I think for there's a moment of time where you're like, whoa, man, I figured it out. But then I think the despair that comes after is greater than the despair that was before. Or it creates total, absolute, pharisaical self-righteousness where you convince yourself that you'll clean up the outside of the cup and that is sufficient. And you can't acknowledge what's inside the cup because you got to be telling yourself that the system, that the formula works. I, I, I think these articles present something. Now, I very much believe there's two classes of Christians. I believe there's the carnal. And I do, in a sense, believe, well, no, actually, I may want to modify that. Are there ever truly, ever anyone who's truly spiritual? Are we always carnal to in some way, shape or for every area where I can say I'm spiritual and is not carnality very much present is carnality ever not present in the life of a believer. It may not be present externally, but carnality is seen inside of us continually and how we treat other people, small things and how you treat people, gossip, slander, judgmental, condemning, jealousy, bitterness. It, it that carnality shows up in us all the time selfishness self centeredness narcissistic proud anger so i guess- i guess we could um yeah someone said maybe not two uh, classes but maybe a continuum a continuum i think i think there's i think there's a i think it's merged together So when we say there's two classes, maybe what we say is there are just Christians who carnality still very much exists inside of it. In fact, look, if your nature is still carnal, then by definition, are you not carnal if your very nature is carnal? I mean, just think about that just logically, right? If, you, if we believe the old nature remains, then by very definition, carnality is a part of your nature. So you would have to be classified as carnal somewhere. It's a part of who you are. You can't deny it. To quote the great philosopher Lady Gaga who was born that way. Now she meant it in a wholly different a completely different context, but the point is we're all born that way, we're born carnal and that carnality will be with us until glorification. So in some ways aren't all Christians carnal and carnality is seen constantly. It's seen sometimes in how you and everyday things happen in your home. With spouse or children, carnality is there. Carnality may be with extended family. How you deal with them and how you feel and how you get here. Carnality is there. Sometimes you, you make it, you, you become, it's obvious you only think about yourself and you don't think about how someone else feels or how, what someone else is going through. Carnality. Sometimes you, you think more about what you want than what someone else, you think more about the good that you want than the good that someone else should, should get and focus on them than not yourself. Carnality. You don't love your enemy. You don't turn the other cheek. Carnality. Carnality is, is, the, is the norm for us. So I was going to say two classes of Christians. I know in a roundabout way the text does seem to articulate, hey, I can't speak to you as spiritual. I can only speak to you as carnal. I understand that. I don't know if it's trying to clearly outline two classes Okay. I think, oh, that's a good way. So we could maybe say all Christians have carnality, but, but some experience more fruits of carnality or spirituality. I think it's true. And I think it's a continual, a continuum as, as I think they said earlier. It's a continuous. It's like a circle. It never stops. Some days there's going to be, you're going to see the evidence of carnality. Some days you're going to see the evidence of spirituality. So then would this not make a better argument than maybe there are two natures inside of us? That we do have two natures. That in salvation we do obtain a new nature. Oh, now if you want to say two hearts, you can go with two hearts. If you want to go with that idea, but I, I definitely cannot say the old heart is gone or the old nature is gone because that's where sin arises from. The the scripture seems clear on that. It's from the heart that all of these things emerge. You can probably find that scripture. I think it's in Matthew. Um, I think you, it's in the Gospels. You can find it where Jesus is the one who talks about it. It's from the heart where all of these things have come from. So I'm going to argue. I, I, here's what I will say. I will reject outright. Any teaching that says the eradication of the old nature, any teaching that says practically you're a new creature, the old is gone, all has become new because that would mean the eradication of the old nature. I would argue against any teaching that says now that you're a Christian you can say no to sin and yes to God as if sinless perfection is possible, if not plausible. I reject that because just reality teaches none of that is true. We sin, 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 sin. Two thousand years of church history, still no one has made perfection. No one's even come close. In fact, sometimes the people that we think are so godly, after they die, we start finding out a lot of the information, all of a sudden their dirt starts coming out and you're like, oh man, they were not near as godly as I thought they were. And guess what? Same in your life. So I reject those teachings outright. I do believe that carnality, a sinful nature, remains in me all the way to a glorification, when I receive a new body, uh, a glorified body, and the sinful nature is gone. All right, so I, I, can, I can be dogma- dogmatic about that. Anything, that any teaching that seems to er- eradicate the old nature or even seems to make possible or plausible, basically being perfect, is a- completely wrong. Just it's, it's, it's absolutely proven to be wrong. So I reject that. I do know carnality will remain in me until glorification. That, I can be dogmatic about those. Where I get a little conflicted is okay. When I was saved, did I receive a new nature? Now, I believe positionally, I'm a new creature in Christ. Oh, things passed away. In Christ. I am crucified. The old man is gone. In Christ, when in Christ, I stand before in Christ. This is my position. I am dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I'm a new creature. There's no sin. There's no disobedience. There's nothing. That is who I am in Christ because of an imputed righteousness. Now, positionally, in reality, in everyday life, my carnality remains. That is dogmatic fact. Now, if I have a new nature, and if I am indwelt with the Holy Spirit, how does those two realities function? Old man, new man. Is that an accurate description of the reality of a Christian? I think in some ways it should because it shows the never-ending conflict that is going on inside of you. There's one part of you that loves God and wants to serve God. And there's another part of you that hates God and doesn't want to obey anything God has to say. There is one part of you that, you know, and maybe you strive to put others before yourself. And there's another part of you says, no, 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 no. You will not do this. You will not do this because I, I care about how I feel. I don't care about you. I care about me. It's selfish. Now, does this fit in with the put off, put on? Does this fit in with mortify the flesh that we have to continue to fight it? Does this, does this fit in with spiritual warfare that the, really the front lines of spiritual warfare is not external. It's not outside. It's not Hollywood. It's not music. It's not pornography. It's not, no, the, the battle is inside of you because you still, the old nature is still there. Now, we're at 55 minutes, unfortunately. We're going to have to stop there. Now, this was a today's. No, this wasn't a today's focus. All right. It wasn't a today's focus. I thought I, I thought I had my today's focus music queued up, but I do not. But it's going to serve as a today's focus because I really want you to work on this today. I really want you to take a piece of paper. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to map out. What a person looks like before conversion, now I think there we understand, obviously a corrupt nature, corrupt heart, dead spiritually, in salvation, now what does it look like? Some people say a new heart. They almost state that as if the old one is gone. Well, then that would be the eradication of the old nature. So I want you to map, what does it look like inside? I mean, that doesn't require a lot of work and time, but I want you to really think about what what does it look like on the inside and then ask yourself, how how do we function in this, this reality? If we have two hearts or two natures and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, What should be the expectation and what is the reality? Because we can have an expectation. Many preachers preach it as what is possible and probable is basically being sinless, and we know that's not reality. So then we have to rethink what we have to see what it looks like vis- visibly by, by drawing it out and then just ask yourself exactly how does this play out? And I think you'll realize immediately that the greatest threat is inside of you, not outside of you. And I think at that point, you have to be willing, and I know this is going to be controversial because I get sick and tired of Christians looking to certain people who are involved in certain sins and tell them that if they become a Christian, that sin is going to go away. Boom. You're no longer going to struggle. Boom. Or when Christians say, there's no one who can be saved and still struggle with that sin or commit that sin. That is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard, unless you believe in the complete eradication of the old man. You can't say you, if you're saved, you'll never commit that sin because then you should just say, if you get saved, you can't commit any sin. You can't just pick certain sins. And you know which sin I'm referring to because it's, it's a common issue in the American church. And as soon as I say this, I'm going to lose half the audience, but I'm, I don't care. I'm going to say it. You can't look to someone who's struggling with homosexuality or any Of the LGBTQ plus issues and say, hey, hey, no, 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 no. If you get saved, you will never desire it. You'll never struggle with it. It will just go away. Well, then you should look at every heterosexual and say, when you get saved, you should never struggle with pornography, with lust or with any. Well, That's just crazy. That's just crazy. You can't, you can't say that. That'd be like that would someone mentioned pride, but yeah, you could you could say the same thing. Hey, if you get saved, you can never. And I know they're joking, but you could say you'll never struggle with pride. Isn't it amazing that we 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 take certain sins and like if you get saved, you'll never you that it will just immediately go away and you'll never do it again. Give me a break. You would be looking at every and and it, it's weird how it works, right? You can have, you can have some teenagers in your church. You're like, okay, these two, right? Boyfriend, girlfriend. Hey, when you get saved, you're never going to struggle with lust. You're never going to go too far in physical contact and you're never going to engage in premarital sex because you're Christians. Well, we know it doesn't work that way. We know they struggle. We know they probably go further than they're supposed to. And they may even be engaged in premarital sex. But everyone will still say they're saved. But if you have two other teenagers in the church who struggle with homosexuality, then it would be like, absolutely not. They're not saved because you got a new heart. You got a new nature. The old is gone. That That's not, that's not possible. Wait a minute. Why do we create this weird contradiction again? The reality is people get saved. And guess what? The old nature is still there. And guess what? The old nature, as it manifested itself before salvation, continues to manifest itself after salvation. Now, in Christ, you're no longer those things. In Christ, you no longer struggle with fornication. You're no longer a fornicator. You're no longer uh, any of those things. In Christ, you're perfect, holy, and righteous. And practice, the old nature is still there. So if the old nature is still there and the new nature is still there, plus you add in the holy, the presence of the Holy Spirit, then what is the expectation for a Christian? We know it can't be sinlessness because it never happens. Now we're at 60 minutes. So I will stop. I know we just barely scratched the surface, but... Hey, Davy got a new heart and a weird written, a weirdly written story that I don't really quite understand. Quoting Ezekiel 36, which I think rips it completely out of context. But that's a whole different story. And then we get two classes of Christians. We've discussed these two. I believe they don't complement. I believe they contradict. And I believe it's a contradiction that Christians constantly struggle with because we don't really know how to process this and any, because nobody wants to struggle with these issues. We just throw out these blanket dogmatic assertions about people, declarative statements without ever taking them to their logical conclusion or saying, well, wait a minute, if you're going to say that about them, you got to say that about everyone else. So either you believe when someone gets saved, they never committed any sin or for some weird way, you get to pick which sins they can and cannot commit. Or you have to admit they're still sinners. The sinful nature remains and they're going to continue to struggle and they're going to continue to sin. And even if they get victory over that sin, there's going to be 50 others they're still sinning and struggling with. And again, I can always give you the basic ones. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. No Christians ever pull that off, even come close. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're constantly going to fail at it. And then the easy one, be holy as God is holy. Sorry, you're never going to do it because those are law we never fulfill God's law, even as believers. That's why we have to be saved, not by a practical righteousness. That's why our salvation can never be judged by a practical righteousness. It has to be determined by an imputed righteousness, which is ours by faith alone, apart from works. But I want you to just think today, long and hard, about what does the, what is the internal life of a believer look like? Two natures, one nature. Are you going to separate heart and nature? I think that would be crazy. New heart, but you have the old nature. So what happened to the new? Do you get a new nature? Do you get a new nature and a new heart? And then the old heart's gone, but you have the old nature. Like sometimes when Christians start articulating this, they—I do- don't think they've ever thought it through. Because typically it's almost presented as the old nature is gone, the old heart is gone, and the only thing remaining is new, which would be the eradication then of the old man, which then sinless perfection is not only possible, it's plausible. And I reject that teaching outright. All right, you can email me, news if at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, news if at yahoo.com. The two articles today came from the August fourth, twenty twenty-three issue of the Sword of the Lord newspaper. You should subscribe to it. I always find something to have a discussion about. And uh, so I'm at least doing a subscription for one year just because when we review, when we analyze the Sword of the Lord conference, I'd thought, well, I'll get the paper. And uh, so I'll be, every time I get one, you'll probably hear some podcast episodes about it. So, but if you do have it, Look at those two articles and maybe you can read uh Davy's new heart article and it will make more sense to you than it did to me reading it out loud because it was like, what is going on here? But I think we talked it through. So hopefully we're good. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. We'll be back on the air at some point. But I think right there, those 64 minutes gave you plenty to think about. Now, if you stop after this and don't think about it, then we don't accomplish anything. But if you want to think about it and email me, newsif at yahoo.com, that completes the circle, and that's usually when the fun part begins is when we start having good conversations about it. Thanks for listening. God bless.